morning we're in Proverbs chapter 18. Let's open our Bibles there as we continue our journey through the book of Proverbs. And as I shared last week, you guys, um, it's, uh, it's kind of hard going through Proverbs, a whole chapter, because every sentence is a sermon. You know, and so as we go through it, we're not going to be able to go in depth. And obviously, there's a lot more you can study on your own. But we'll do our best to kind of cover some ground. And, uh, and hopefully, uh, we come out wiser than we started. And it, it is a blessing to see you come. It is a blessing to see you uh, hungry for God, hungry for his word. And we're going to see that tonight. And I believe that as a result of you taking that step of faith and really I know whether it's watching or you're here in person, you really want to hear God's voice, that there can really be uh, life-changing uh, practices, habits. Uh, like we talked about, wisdom is the skill of living life successfully. And, and so that's why the Proverbs are such a blessing, man, to be able to go through. Notice what we read here in verse 1. It says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire... He rages against all wise judgment. And, and some people are introverts. Some people are extroverts. Some people like to get out there. Other people, by nature, they're more like homebodies, right? And so um, this is a, a proverb. It doesn't matter if you're more of an introvert. It's encouraging you to, to get out there, to make sure that you don't live in the nation of isolation. Because right here, whether it's intentional or non-intentional, ultimately you see that a person who's just a loner, they just isolate themselves. They don't open up to anybody. At the end of the day, what the proverb says is they really only want to please himself. See, understand, we were created uh, to exist in family, in society, as socially, as part of a community. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that the Jews had what was called the Mishnah, which was the commentary on the law. And they used this verse to teach the necessity of being part of a community because people have social responsibility. And so um, don't isolate yourself. Don't say, well, I'm just going to you know, be to myself, homebody, stay home. You got to get out. You got to find out what your part in in community is remember in the very beginning even before the the fall in genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 it said it is not good for man to be alone right ecclesiastes 4 9 through 10 it says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor for if they fall one will lift up his companion but woe to him who is alone when he falls for he has no one to help him up and then Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so you want to make sure that you're not going through life all alone. You want to make sure that you're, you, know, you have someone. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll, I'll just share this. Like there are some people that come to church and they don't have any connection. They don't have any friends. Uh, they don't talk to anybody. They just kind of come and then they leave. And there's really no accountability. So maybe something happens and they're no longer coming to church service. And no one really knows because they really didn't like make that connection. And so you got to, you know what I would encourage everybody to do, honestly? I would say, hey, will you be my accountability partner? Like if you don't see me here, will you call me up? 
And then if I don't answer the phone, will you come and knock down my door? And we, <laughs> Will you come and help? Because we have to make sure that we are not living life alone. And you can come, and you still might be all alone. You have to have friends. You have to open up. You have to make yourself a little vulnerable, right? I mean, and it's not just society. It's not just socially, but it's actually spiritually, you know. Um, some people, they got to get back into church. They're out there. They got to get back into the fellowship. There's an interesting uh, word here. It's this word isolates, and it's translated separated in Genesis chapter 13, verse 11. And you guys might remember the story when Abraham and Lot, they were having their hard times. They were having some conflict between them. And so Abraham told his nephew, he said, uh, well, maybe, you know, we should kind of think about, you know, moving in different directions. And, uh, and what ended up happening is Lot, you know, being the nephew, I don't know, maybe he should have said, well, Uncle Abraham, you choose. Or, you know, maybe we can try to work this out. I don't know. But what ended up happening was Lot lifted up his eyes and he was drawn to Sodom and Gomorrah of all places. And the Bible says this in Genesis 13, 11, Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. It's the same word used in the Hebrew. Uh, there in uh, Proverbs, it's isolates. Here, it separates. And what happened was when Lot did that, he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was all downhill from that point. And Abraham and Lot went their separate ways. And you guys know the story of what happened. And so this proverb right here, a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he rages against all wise judgment. And so this might even be someone who is not open to counsel. They just want to do their own thing. Verse 2, it says, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. And so I think we probably all met people like this, right? They, they don't really want to understand others. They only want to express themselves. And this is what the Bible defines as a fool. You know, these are usually the same people who are not interested in what God's word shares they just want to share uh, their own heart. And so that's a, a scary place to be because Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that our heart is, is wicked, it's deceptive, deceitful above all things. And so we got to make sure as we're going through life, we're talking to people, let me understand what you're saying before I just blurt my words out. And, and as a teacher, as a Christian, Lord, let me understand what your word shares. I want to understand it. As a matter of fact, something interesting, I don't know if you guys ever caught this, but in the parable of the, the seed, the soil, and the sower in Matthew chapter 4, it talks about how when the Lord comes, he sows the seed. He sows the word of God. But if the person doesn't understand it, that's what the Bible says, if he doesn't understand it, then that leaves room for the enemy to come and to take that word away. And so my encouragement to you is when you're reading this Bible, when you're hearing a Bible study, try to make sure you understand it. And if you don't, you can ask the pastor, you can ask one of the guys, because it is important that we have that as a goal. 
verse 3, it says, When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. And so, bottom line is, you guys, let's make sure we don't welcome any wickedness, wicked people into our life where they don't belong. You know, when wickedness arrives, contempt or lack of respect does too. And then, inevitably, that leads to dishonorable conduct, which is then accompanied by shame or reproach. And so when you look at this, it's an interesting digression. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone like that, but their life, it just sinks lower and lower. When in all reality, as a Christian, we should be rising higher and higher. We should be more and more loving, more and more like Jesus. And so when wickedness tries to enter that door, when wickedness tries to enter your home, you have to do Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Verse 4, it says that the words of a man's mouth are deep waters and the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. And so the, the man spoken of here in verse 4 most likely refers to the wise words of a wise man, right? The, the words of a man's mouth are, are like deep waters, right? They're, they're not shallow. They're not wasteful. They're, they're deep. Uh, he, he offers not superficial words, but but beneficial words. You know, it's been said that a single conversation across the table with a wise man can truly be life-changing. You know, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, you know what, I would just like to sit down with, uh, you know, this individual and just talk. And I'll tell you what, that lunch, that breakfast, that little meeting that you might have, that might be what changes your life. And so you got these deep words. Now, right here, he mentions two water sources. Uh, first is a deep well, and that was so valuable back in those days. And the second is a flowing or, or a bubbling brook, even a rushing stream. And it's just clean, you know, it's fresh. And so bottom line is, you know, for us, when we're, when we're looking at this verse right here, uh, when, you, when you share the, the right word in the right way at the right time, in one sense, it's like there's divine inspiration to your conversation, and it's just an absolute blessing. I mean, my encouragement to you is to drink uh, deeply. When, when I read this passage right here, I can't help but think of John 7, 38. Jesus says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so you ever think about that verse in John 7? Where, where's he quoting from? It, it might be that he's quoting from Proverbs. And John chapter 7, it talks about first you can become a Christian. Then you get filled up with the Holy Spirit. Then what ends up happening is out of you flows these words, this water cleansing and, and power. What a difference it makes to everyone that's around you. Because out of, your, out of your mouth comes the word of God. And so what a blessing that is. My prayer is that we would be those type of people that speak that kind of word, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and then we would also listen to, to that type of word. You know, I, I want to encourage you guys, make sure when you go to Bible studies that they teach you the Bible. 
because a lot of times these pastors nowadays, they're just talking about a whole bunch of other stuff, and it's like, okay, I understand. There's an aspect of being relevant and things like that, but no, just teach me the Bible because the book should be open, and he should be explaining it line upon line, a precept upon precept. Verse 5, it says, It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. And so this is a, another repeated theme, not only in the Proverbs, but if you guys have read through your Bibles, you'll notice that it's saturated throughout the Scriptures. Um, when you read through the prophets like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they talk a lot about how the, the judges of the land were not just. And it's for that reason that God disciplined them. And if we go around with an injustice in our heart, then God's going to deal with us too. And so we have to make sure that we just be just, that we do dare to be fair. You've got to be fair with, your, with, your, with everyone, right? Don't, don't take a bribe. Don't favor a friend, even if it's a family member. You have to be just. Proverbs 18.5 in the NLT puts it this way. It's not right to ex ex acquit the guilty or deny justice to the innocent. One of my favorite verses is Micah chapter 6 in verse 8. It says, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to do justly, that's how God wants us to walk. Verse 6, it says, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. And so you guys know, um, hopefully it's been a while, man, you know, the physical fights, man. I remember my dad, before he was a Christian, I remember my uncles, my cousins, even my dad fighting with Literally, my uncles and cousins and the fist fights and all the craziness and chaos that went on. And it was always because someone was, was talking smack, right? And, and that's what we see right here. Proverbs 18.6 says, Fools' words get them into constant quarrels, and they're just asking for a beating. And so uh, sometimes, I remember one guy said, that, that dude deserved to be socked. And even though I wouldn't advocate any type of violence... I will tell you that, that your mouth, if it just runs, it'll get you into trouble. And so um, that's one of the things that we've been learning as we're just constantly seeing this probably every week. Lord, let my heart be right. I know that out of the, the Luke 6.45 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I don't want to say anything that's not according to your will. You know, not only will it get you into physical fights and it will affect you uh, temporally in time, it will actually affect you eternally. That, that's what the next verse says. It says in verse 7 that a fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. I mean, this is destruction to the point that it says that his soul is actually snared. And so it, it kind of works both ways. Like when your heart's not right, your words are, are, are wrong. But it also kind of, you know, it's circular in that when your words aren't wrong, it almost feeds your heart and it just makes you worse. There's an interesting passage in James chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. 
The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. And so the, the tongue, even though it's little, it's, it's powerful. Like James says, it's like that little um, rudder of a ship or the bit in that horse's mouth. And here in James, it's an interesting passage because he says that it's set in your body, in your life, in such a way that it affects your, your, your whole nature. It is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Our tongue can do so much damage. And it's interesting right here because it says it is set on fire by hell. So when we think of hell, you know, the lake of fire, we think of that fire. Well, that's where the, those words come from. Isn't it interesting how um, Peter, when he wasn't really thinking about things correctly, he told Jesus, far be it from you. You know, you're never going to die on a cross. And, and the Lord told him what? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Sometimes the devil, the demons, can actually speak through a person. And they'll speak to a person. And that's why, you know, our words, we really have to make sure we are not footloose and fancy free shooting from the hip with our words. It's so important. What we see right here is those words make a, an infinite difference. You know, when you look at this verse, it's probably pointing to the overall madness that we uh, sometimes experience with our mouths. How many of you guys here have ever said something that you regret? I mean, just today, I mean, probably, right? And so, um, you know, it is that aspect of it, you know, dirty uh, mouths, dirty hearts, the noise, the chaos, the foolishness. But you want to know something else? It's also true that, that with the tongue, we can confess Jesus as Lord. And think about that. That saves us. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, with that tongue. I mean, you could be here tonight, you could be watching, and you can, with that, with that tongue, you can say, Lord, I, I need you. And it, and it changes everything. Lord, come into my life. Lord, I'm sorry. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I mean, with that tongue, you can do so much good, but, but with the tongue, you can do so much bad. You can be like, you know what, I don't want to be here. I don't want to hear it. You know, there's a crazy story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Do you guys remember the story when Jesus went and he cast out the, the demon from the, the men and they went into the pigs and the pigs fell off the, the cliff and the people of the town, they came and they told, hey, what happened here? And all our, all our pigs died, all our business went bankrupt. And do you remember what the Bible says in Mark, chapter 5, verse 17? Then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. And that's the, that's the thing. At the end of the day, there are those people who they say with their lips, I don't want God. I don't, Jesus, leave. Imagine that. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to go to church service. I don't want to serve. I mean, all that can come out of our lips. And so watch what we say. Um, here it's a snare to the soul. Verse 8, it says, The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down 
into the inmost body. And so some people, they really, really like gossip. I don't understand it. But Charles Bridges said, No character indeed is more despicable and no influence is more detestable. You know, when you, when you think of gossip, you wonder why would anyone ever give it out and why would anyone ever take it in? You mean to tap, tell me you have an appetite for that? You know, George Meredith defined gossip as social sewage. Gossip does so much damage that Corey Tenboon said that gossip kills love. It does so much irreparable damage in such a short period of time. One person said, I know of nothing swifter in life than the voice of a rumor, and there's only one thing as difficult as unscrambling an egg. It's unspreading a rumor. Gossip is the devil's mailbag. So don't let him deliver to your house. I like what one person said, never believe anything bad about anybody unless you positively know it to be true and never tell it to anyone unless you feel it is absolutely necessary. And that can be life-changing. I'm telling you right now, someone comes up and they want to talk gossip. You say, I'm sorry, I've been studying the Proverbs, and God said I shouldn't have an appetite for those types of tasty trifles. Verse 9, it says, He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. And this is another uh, recurring theme we see in the Proverbs that God wants us to work hard. You know, we read it frequently in Proverbs, but... This is an interesting verse right here. Look again. He, is, he was slothful in his work. Notice it says, is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Who, who's a great destroyer? I, I think that's the devil. Slothful, sloppy. I'm going to take advantage of the time that I have at work. I'm going to skate. I won't give it all. You know, I, yeah, I get paid for eight hours, but you know what? As long as I put in a good six, I'm good. You know, and the boss isn't watching right now, so I can kind of do whatever I want. No, Christians should be the hardest workers of all. And so we, he, the Bible talks about this. When, when you're slothful in your, in your work, you are a brother of the devil. And so I remember Pastor Raul years ago, man, he would say that, you know, people would call the church and complain about people who attended there because they were not working hard. And then he would get other phone calls. So, hey, can you recommend somebody, you know, who's going to do a good job for me? And at the end of the day, he would say, I really can't. Because a lot of times people are not really working the way they should. You know, it reveals something very, very difficult. You know, we're getting paid. I think of it as a pastor especially, man. I think especially even more so, you know, because people are supporting us. And so there's a deep conviction. And, of course, we know that there's not a, a time clock. I mean, you're working, you know, seven days a week pretty much. I mean, you try to get some days off and stuff. But I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm afraid. 
I get afraid. Are you, are you studying? Are you praying? Are you working? Are you doing your hours? Because this is a, a heavy responsibility. People are counting on us, our employer, our family. We should be working hard. Um, but unfortunately, some, they just don't like to work. And so that's why it's good to read the Proverbs. And just to be reminded, you know, you're a worker. Get there on time. Get there early. You're a worker. Work all the way through. And don't leave until you're done. I mean, at the end of the day, this has got to be our heart. Verse 10, it says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So can you visualize that, you guys? I mean, you're in danger and, and you're running to a strong tower. Well, he's saying, well, that strong tower is the name of the Lord. And so um, what, what you find in the Bible is uh, that God's you know, name in the Old Testament uh, is... Is, is that, that L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D. We see it here in our text. Look at verse 10. It says the name of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all caps, and that's the tetragrammatron. And what that is is the covenant name of God. And that is him saying, uh, I'm Yahweh. I am whatever you need. You know, you're here and you need healing. You know, he's uh, Yahweh uh, Rapha. You need provision, uh, Yahweh Yaira, or, or you need peace, Yahweh Shalom. Um, he is whatever you need tonight. And so what do you do? You run to him. You run to his name. You run to who he is. You know, and he's a strong tower that, that protects us. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, it talks about Jesus. And there is an interesting passage because there it compares uh, Jesus to what was in the Old Testament. You see it uh, over and over again. It was called the city of refuge. And so in the Old Testament, whenever you committed a crime, it could have been like this. Let's say you were chopping down your tree, and you're chopping down your tree, and then boom, one day, one swing, it goes, and then the axe head, it flies, and it, and it kills somebody. We call that manslaughter or whatever, accidental death. Well, the kinsman redeemer, the, the, the family member, under the law, they have the right. You just killed my, my, my son or whatever, my brother. They have the right to come and get you. And it was kind of an interesting justice system back in the Old Testament. But what the Lord did is he provided what were called cities of refuge. And so if you did that accidentally, you could run to the city of refuge, and there you were safe. And then they would have a, a court hearing, and then they would kind of see, you know, what's going on. If it was an intentional death, you'd still suffer uh, the penalty for that. But if it was unintentional, then you would stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. And so an interesting uh, uh, perspective, interesting thing that we see. For us, we all have sinned, and we have all fled to the city of refuge. And Hebrews 6.18 says that that city of refuge is the name of Jesus, right? And what did Matthew 1.21 says? They said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Have you guys run to Jesus? You have, huh? A couple of you here, I'm still wondering, but I think most of you, you, know, you probably, you know, if you're watching and you have not yet run to Jesus, 
He is your only refuge. He is a, your only strong tower. And even as Christians, we continue to run to Jesus because there is this battle that we're in and we need to know we're forgiven. And we need to experience the peace that only we, we can get when we're with him, when we're close to him. And so we, we run to him. It's interesting, I was talking to someone and then I was looking this up, the name of the Lord. And you guys know there's a lot of names of the Lords, right? In the, in the Bible, name of the Lord. Guess how many there are? If you had to guess, how many names of the Lord are there? There's one article I have right here with 950 names of the Lord in the Bible. And so whatever you're going through, whatever that is, you just look it up and man, it's so cool. God reveals himself uh, to every need. Run to him. Please, don't display church. Don't come in and leave and wonder why you're still the same you used to be. You have to run to him. Verse 11, it says, The rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. And so how many of you here would like to win the lottery? Uh, there's probably a lot of people who would say, man, Lord, if I could just get some more money, if I could be a millionaire. But you know what? I mean, maybe you'll be okay, but maybe it'll mess you up. You know, what happens when you get a lot of money, when you get a lot of money, is you tend to think that you don't really need God anymore. You know, here we see the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The rich, they think of their wealth as their strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. You know, they think that they're good, they're safe, they're sound, they're strong, they're secure because they're rich. And therefore, you know, in one sense, they, they can build the highest, thickest walls around. And that's their protection. And they're good. And we today, we can, you know, with all that money, we can buy, you know, the best alarm system, we can hire bodyguards, we can get a Volvo, and we can have the best doctors and health insurance that money can buy. But ultimately, our breath is in God's hands. And, and the, the thing that we have to be so careful of is that our trust always has to be in Him. You know, it's not a sin to be rich. There are some people who are rich and they, they trust the Lord but, but it is a sin to trust in riches. Riches can buy a, a nice piece of land, but, but riches cannot buy peace with God. Imagine you're standing before God one day after you die, and you know you think that you can whip out your numbers in your bank account. Say, hey, Lord, I saved up a million dollars. I think that should buy me a little ticket in. You guys know, huh? You know the Bible. Oh, I, I gave a million dollars to the church. I, I gave two million dollars to the church. That doesn't get you in. Money doesn't get you in. The things that money can buy don't get you in. Your good deeds don't get you in. It's your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what allows us to go to heaven and to be washed. And so, you know, the rich man, it's crazy, you guys. And I know most of us here, myself included, I think, Lord, if I... You know, didn't have to live paycheck to paycheck or whatever it might be. I'd be good. And, and you know what? God knows. God knows what's best. And so trust him. You know, riches may be able to buy easier days in, in one sense, but they can't buy an extra day. 
And that might be the thing that will mess you up. You know, I was thinking about that king in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar. And you guys remember how he was, you know, mocking God and, you know, he took the gold and silver and he was praising the gods of gold and silver and drinking from the vessels from the temple until the writing came and appeared and it started writing on the wall. And, and basically, you know, Daniel comes out and he interprets what's written there. Your time is up. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And, and you guys remember what happened. It says in Daniel 5 and verse 23, Daniel's talking to him. He says, you know, you rich king, you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear. And the God, here it is, who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Imagine that. Here's a guy that's so rich, he thought he was so good, and God said, that's your problem. That's your problem. So what ends up happening? That very night, Belshazzar was slain. And so, you know, the rich guy, I don't know, don't, don't envy him as much as, as you might. Verse 12, it says, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. It's almost as if there's an order of events. Pride will always lead to a fall and failure, and if left unchecked, it will lead to destruction. But humility will always lead to honor. You know, maybe not in the temporary kingdom of men, but definitely in the everlasting kingdom of God. And so uh, Jesus said in Luke 18, in verse 14, for everyone, everyone, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Tell you what, I would love to wash toilets. I would love to, to vacuum. I would love to sweep. And then you got that, that guy with that heart. I, I'm willing to do anything. But then you got the other guy who says, I want to teach. Maybe one day God will work that out. You know, sometimes I, I think we think too highly of ourselves, and so God has to put us in check. Augustine said this, Should you ask me what is the first thing in religion? I would reply, the first, second, and third thing therein is humility. So it's good for us, huh? Just uh, when I think of humility, you guys, to be honest, I just think of being honest. You know, I, when we think about it, who we are, we're, we're nothing. We're, we're wicked. We have this fallen nature. We're just honest. That's all. I, don't, I know what I deserve. I was thinking today when I was praying, I deserve the infinite opposite of what I've been given. And it's so true. Verse 13, it says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. And so this can be interrupting another person before they finish their sentence. Have you guys ever done that? Or it can be making decisions without all the necessary facts. And so it's not right, it's not just, it's foolish, and it's shameful. And so we need to really listen to one another 
and then listen to the Lord before we answer each other. Verse 14 says, The spirit of the man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? And so there are many out there who are sick. And now I was thinking of this brother Greg. And my prayer is that his spiritually he, he's strong, that he doesn't give up. You know, I, I don't know how it all works. You guys have probably heard it, man. But maybe one day you're going to be there in the hospital room, you know, 10 years down the road or something. And, and this little proverb will save your life. Because it says right here, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. It teaches us that when someone is sick, they can be sustained by their spirit. And the, the context carries the connotation that they got to maintain a positive outlook, upbeat on the inside. Hey, I can be helped. I can be healed physically. Why? Because you're healthy spiritually. You're healthy emotionally. You don't, you don't give up. You don't lose heart. You got your eyes on the Lord. And you say, Lord, if you want to take me right now, that's fine. But I tell you what, Lord, I would love to live, spend time with my family, serve you longer. And so you just, I don't know, you're strong in those situations. But when a person gives up, refusing to look up, when they're broken and crushed due to a lack of faith and trust in God, choosing only to dwell on the negative, it will be absolutely unbearable. Verse 15, it says, The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. And so here we see it's not just an, an acquisition, really. It goes beyond to an inquisition, which is a period of prolonged and intentive questioning or investigation. And so, like, I really want to know the Bible. I really want to know God. I really want to know these truths. And so what you're doing right here is you are seeking that knowledge. You know, when it comes to that type of knowledge and wisdom, the prudent are what we would call go-getters. And they're inclining their ears and they're opening to their hearts to God. And that's what they're encouraging us to do. In verse 16, it says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. And so a man's gift. Um, two views on this. One view is like, let's just say you're gifted as an athlete. One day you win the World Series and then you're at the White House, you know, in one sense. Or, or maybe um, you're like uh, Billy Graham. And what a gift he had in evangelism, right? And so from 1945, the first president was Harry Truman, all the way through Obama. He met with every single president. Not only that, in 2013, he actually met with Trump prior to him becoming president. Trump happened to be at Billy Graham's 95th birthday uh, celebration, and it was there that they showed a great evangelistic movie called The Cross. And so all I'm saying is that sometimes some people believe well, that's what he's talking about right here. When you're really gifted and you surrender that gift to God, that might bring you before great men like, like that. Most translations, however, most teachers believe it to be different. They see that, that a man's gift is really how you give a generously you know, the, the gifts that we give, the president, the presence that we, that we give. And so, um, I don't know, I, I like the first one better, to be honest.
But, um, you know, not necessarily a bribe, but just being generous. Kind of like um, uh, Abigail, when she sent the food that allowed her to be survive in David's presence, or maybe Jacob and Esau, they would use that as an, as an example as well. And so, um, I don't know, you choose which one you like. Verse 17, it says, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Or as the NLT puts it, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. And so here's something interesting, you guys. It's a third warning in this chapter not to speak hastily or make hasty decisions. Verse 2 and verse 13 also talk about the same thing. And so if someone comes and they tell you something, and there you are, you're like, yeah, I can't believe it. Next thing you know, you start forming an opinion. And what the Proverbs are saying is, hey, be, be careful. Because, yeah, they might be a good you know, case, but let the other person talk. And that's why the, the rabbis, if there was only one representative present, they would put a, their hand over one ear because to them, they say, hey, there's always two sides to a story. And so make sure that you wait, you get all the facts before you even begin to formulate an opinion. This is all about us. You guys, these Proverbs are all about us being uh, wise people, people that are, are like Christ, people that are godly. It's a really, these are really important things because not everyone's like this. Verse 18, it says, Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. And so casting lots causes contentions to cease. When my kids were younger and we couldn't agree on where to eat, Panda Express or Subway, right? All we had to do was flip a coin. Man, it's so cool, right? It avoided World War III right there. I'm just joking. That didn't really happen. Heads I win, tails you lose. That's what Ariel would say every time. At the end of the day, what's he saying right here? The ultimate uh, truth is he's saying, let God decide. Let God decide. Back in the Old Testament, lots were used to make big decisions, really. They were even used to divide the land, according to Numbers 33, verse 54. But now in the New Testament, you don't have to roll dice or lots over big decisions. Now in the New Testament, we are led by the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and even the counsel of other godly Christians. And so you can avoid a fight over fast food um, by flipping a coin, but when it comes to the more serious matters, we need to look to God and his word. Verse 19 says, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. And so what he's saying right here, obviously, is it's super-duper hard to win that brother or sister back into your life. It's so challenging to truly patch things up and to make amends. And so you might want to think twice. You might want to think long and hard before you say those words and attack them the way that so many people do. Now, of course, for us as Christians, you guys, my prayer is that, man, we, if there's anybody that you got things wrong with, that yet you get right, that you ask God for forgiveness, that you let there be reconciliation. But it's not always possible because it might be something that you're interested in, but it really, at the end of the day, might be something that that person 
never, ever gets over. And so what he's saying is try not to let it happen in the beginning. I mean, think about it right here. How hard would it be to conquer a city, a strong city? How hard would that be? Well, he says right here, a brother offended is harder to win than a, than a strong city. You know, it's hard to break through those iron bars. And so God help us to be so careful. Verse 20, it says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so interesting, you guys, um, it's not just allegorical. It's, it's actually more than that. Our words are seeds that are sown in the soil of someone's soul. If we speak or we plant good seeds, then we'll be blessed and others will as well. It's like the good fruit for life. And that's why I'm telling you, and I pray that you've caught this, never ever get any type of sloppy agape with your words. Every single time you say something, you're planting a seed. You know, I love my, 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 my aunt. She took care of me. But I tell you what, the things that she spoke into my life, you know, telling me that I'm going to be just like my dad, who was a drug addict and an alcoholic and he never could hold a job. And those type of words that were spoken into my life, man, they did big time damage. But thank God Jesus came in and Jesus saved me and Jesus saved my dad. But what I'm trying to say is that we have to be so careful with the words that we speak. I mean, there's the, there's the power of death in those words and the power of life. And so we got to make sure we're not planting poison. Verse 22 is my wife's favorite verse in the Bible. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Amen. <laughs> You know, I'll never forget the day that I saw my wife. I wasn't even a Christian yet, but man, and you guys have heard the story before. I can't believe I had never done this. I saw her from afar, and I said, I'm going to marry her. Imagine that, you know? And so I went home. I knelt beside my bed, and I said, God, make her like me. I remember praying for her, and, uh, <laughs> and she ended up liking me. And I, I tell you what, um, man, after salvation, she is the best thing that has ever happened in my life. And then my kids, right? And so, when you know, you're, some people will look and they say, well, he who finds a wife, Manny, he who finds a wife. So that means I got to go looking for a wife. And I would say, no, don't look for a wife. Look for the Lord. And as you're looking for the Lord, you're, you're going to find your wife. It, it's inevitable. You know, and so I pray that we would have that understanding. Um, what we see right here, Proverbs 19.14 says, Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Proverbs 31.10, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. Verse 23 says, The poor man uses entreaties 
but the rich answers roughly. And so more than likely, this is in reference to a poor man asking for mercy or, or alms or, or a little more time to pay his debt. The New Living Translation says, the poor plead for mercy and the rich answer with insults. And so again, generally speaking, a lot of the guys out there, they don't care about the poor person. They, they think, what, what is this, a charity? You know, the Bible says in Proverbs eleven sixteen that ruthless men retain riches. You know, and, and it's probably true. If a guy's going to have a whole bunch of money, you, you kind of ask yourself, why, why does he have so much money? You know, why doesn't he give it, you know, to good causes? Verse 24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, you know, this is one of those verses where we need to keep in mind the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, not English, and the Proverbs were written uh, 1,000 years before the King James Version, because a lot of times people think the King James Version, that's the inspired version. Um, and so here's where I have to just be truthful with you. Um, although what the King James says is true, notice again what it says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. So if you want friends, you got to be a friend, right? You got to be friendly. But it's not really accurate according to the Hebrew. In the Hebrew language, and you guys can all do this yourself, you go to uh, online, you study the word uh, must himself be friendly. Just it's one Hebrew word, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's basically a word that means evil or bad. And so what this verse is really saying it, most of the other translations, they get it right. And they, they, they basically say that, um, you know, you, you, you have a lot of friends, you're going to come to ruin. Or you're going to have some friends who aren't really friends. You're going to have some people in your life that, that do you wrong, even though you thought they were a friend. That's what it really says. But, he says, there is a friend who is faithful. There is a friend who is loyal. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And for us, you know, it might be someone in your life that God blesses you with, that is just a good, solid person. Like I think it's Proverbs 17, 17. It says a friend loves at all times. The good times, the bad times, when you fail them, I mean, you're just always there, Right? I was reading this morning about uh, Zedekiah and Jeremiah 38, 22 and how they warned him. I mean, these guys, they're going to kill you. They're going to come from Ammon and they're going to kill you. And, and Zedekiah is like, no, nah, they're my friends. Now, sometimes people will stab you in the back. But we have a friend, like his name is Jesus. And he sticks closer than a brother. It's interesting uh, Daniel, you must have been uh, reading this uh, when you did your song today, huh? I was like, hey, that's the Holy Spirit. And it, and it still was. But what a beautiful song. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I'm not saying don't trust anybody. Hey, they might get you. Uh, I do encourage you to be friendly to others. And, you know, man, that would be so cool if God cultivates really deep and awesome friendships. But ultimately, um, Jesus is our BFF.